Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Change is inevitable, and for most, it's also uncomfortable. But it isn't necessarily bad, given it can be a catalyst for tremendous growth, deeper connections, and betterment which is good news for the consumer packaged goods industry, considering research from Deloitte predicts the segment is facing a once-in-a-century economic, social, and technological transition. The chaotic pace of change since the beginning of the pandemic and following economic upheaval that has left many businesses scrambling is nothing compared to what Casey Loba, Chief Innovation Officer for Deloitte's Consumer Industry, says is in store for the CPG space in the next 10 years. Based on his extensive 18-month examination of the future of the consumer industry in collaboration with more than 800 industry leaders, which he details in his recently published report, Buying into Better, the Future of the Consumer Industry, Loba says that he and his team identified more than 100 factors that they organized into six forces influencing the direction and pace of change in the CPG industry. To fully understand their impact and how to harness their potential, the team also identified three primary business dimensions through which to filter and analyze the potential impact of each force. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Loba shares each of the six macro forces shaping the future of the CPG industry, and explores their implications through what he calls three primary business dimensions. And while he stops short of predicting the future, he offers a roadmap to help industry stakeholders chart a path alongside consumers to a better future. So in turbulent periods like the current one, it can be difficult to see out towards the horizon past the immediate fires of inflation, broken supply chains, and labor challenges. But Loba explains he took a 10-year view when researching what the future of the CPG industry may hold. Here in the consumer industry, certainly, you know, you may be feeling there's been a lot of disruption based on, you know, pretty, um, pretty radical changing consumer behaviors that happened throughout the pandemic. Uh, but of course, as, as things are slowly getting back to normal, or at least to some semblance of normal, um, you know, there's a bit of a, a rebound of, of behaviors so trying to understand and manage inventory levels, where the demand is going to come from, what, what categories, what products, you know, what channels, you know, all of that has just caused a lot of confusion, a lot of difficulty in predicting demand, uh, a lot of um, you know, implications on the, the financials uh, of our clients and, and, and companies that live in those industries as well. And certainly there's things that are happening, significant things that are happening today in technology, significant things that are happening relative to the planet, uh, economics, policy power. All of those things, are, are, our view is a 10-year horizon. So I'm going to focus less on whether or not the current um, inflation is transitory or not, whether or not the current you know, uh, uh, supply chain um, constraints are going to free up and when they'll free up, et cetera, and, and rather get the focus over a longer term. The reality is, is that we surfaced well over a hundred distinct things that were happening uh, that needed attention. A hundred distinct things, you know, some of those things are, 
demographics, some of them are economics, some of them are technology. Um, but then it became clear that those 100 or so things kind of fit, fit into a framework. And that framework was really that all of those things roll up to one of what we call the six forces shaping the future of the consumer industry. Those six forces include the changing consumer and evolving society and culture, exponential tech, radical industry upheaval, extreme client change, and shifting economies, policy, and power. But to fully understand how each of these will play out, Lobot examines them through a lens of markets, models, and mechanics. Once we got the six forces and a hundred or so things organized, all we know then is that there's a bunch going on. The real question is, what are the implications? And that takes us to the second element of our framework that we call, uh, we call the implications, markets, models, and mechanics. The first one being markets. What is sold? Who's it being sold to? What goods and services are creating value? And what are the implications on those? The second is models. And that's how businesses are organized and configured. And what are the implications there? And then finally, mechanics. How do you operate the business? How do businesses execute and how might that be changing? How do you employ labor and how might that be changing, etc.? The first of the six forces identified by Deloitte as fundamental to the future of the consumer packaged goods space is the consumer, who Lobot explains is becoming more diverse, which calls into question the effectiveness of designing products for and communicating to the mass market. If you really look at the consumer and you go right out on the cutting edge and say, help me understand you know, where things are heading, it actually ends up, you look at increased racial and ethnic diversity. That's one of the things that we see. Uh, and in fact, I'll use the word diversity uh, along a lot of dimensions, that being one of them. The second has to do with changing sexuality, gender identity, and how rapidly that's changing. Uh, there's aging and longevity. A consumer who's getting older, but potentially significantly older with some of the breakthroughs that are happening right now with health and wellness and the application of artificial intelligence there. So we have declining birth rates, but we have the potential for significant increases in longevity over the next decade. And that actually ends up saying, okay, that means that we've got to think about who the consumer is going to be, where the money is, what needs and desires do they have out, out there as well. So I've talked demographically, but there's also geographically. Where's the consumer living? And how are they shifting geographies within the United States today or, or you know, and globally? Um, you know, the differences between thriving and distressed communities and the rise of the distressed community, what that means for us. It's economic too, though. Growth of wealth inequality and generational wealth disparity that I don't think gets spoken about very often. But if you go back and look at last decade about where uh, net worth is increasing, you'll find it's the older consumer who's made substantial gains in net worth. And meanwhile, the younger consumer has actually gone negative uh, from where they were a decade ago. So those are the kinds of things that live under this idea of the changing consumer. What it paints a picture of is, is a future with a dramatically you know, more fragmented consumer base than we come from. You know, oftentimes I say our industry was built for mass, meaning you know, a, a large homogeneous consumer, big middle class. We built mass production, mass distribution, mass marketing. And you know, think about we're targeting the middle of the bell curve. 
Well, if you layer those trends out that I just talked about, you begin to see, oh, the, the fragmentation is not the bell curve that it once was, and therefore how we compete for that consumer changes pretty significantly. One way Lobosis is playing out in the market is through a shift from mass to micro. We've built our industry, built our businesses on the backs of this mass production, mass distribution, mass marketing model. However, increasingly the market, whether each individual company is shifting or not, the market is shifting to what we call micro. Now, micro is really just optionality. It has to do with, yep, personalized, personalized marketing, but it also has to do with, you know, increased targeting around specific products that really target specific uh, uh, niche, you know, consumers. But it also has to do with expansion of channels, brands, formats, and service models. If you stop and just look at the, the market in retail in particular and say, you know, how many, how many channels now exist? How many different service models where you can, oh, you can have it shipped to your home, you can pick it up at the store, you can have it curbside delivered. You know, all of those represent this move from mass to micro, um, but they also represent optionality. But on the downside, it also represents complexity. So we actually have to begin to think about not only how do you target the changing consumer, but what does it mean to us operationally and how do we build the organization, the operation, the operating model and the mechanics to be able to run an organization that has that level of flexibility and granularity um, to, to meet those changing needs and demands. The second force of change identified by Deloitte is the natural progression from the first, but zoomed out from the individual to the societal and cultural level. There's elements of society and culture that actually are defining for the consumer or for the individual even. Um, things like marriage and how marriage is changing. Of course, we're seeing delayed and declining you know, marriage rates, home ownership, birth rates, you know, things like that, that that are definitive of these, the cycle, you know, where you're at as a consumer that traditionally defined, you know, when a consumer made what purchases and, and how they moved from, you know, one kind of purchase to another. As cultural standards break down and diversify, Lobaugh says that this will further accelerate the shift from mass to micro, which he notes may sound linear, but actually is not especially as society and time layer in the third force for change, which is exponential tech. I would traditionally have thought about technology as being information technology, infotech. As we dig into the technologies and we have these conversations, you know, across the 800 some people, what, what, what becomes clear is, oh my gosh, there's a broader set of technologies, not just infotech, that, that are actually advancing at exponential rates, but maybe even more importantly, converging. So for example, we've got infotech and we can talk about things like, you know, AI, you know, on, on the infotech front, but there's biotech as well and really dramatic advances there. There's advances in, in uh, material science and those are significant. There's even advances in things like space. Uh, which will have an implication for our industry, you know, over the next decade, if you think about it, um, that are all sort of moving at the same rate. And we don't speak like, or at least in, in my world, we don't spend a lot of time talking about some of these alternative technologies that would actually, you know, also matter. And by the, by the way, the list 
of technologies is very long that came up through this conversation. Everything from, you know, the things you might expect like AI, um, AR and VR, but also things like the advancements of drones and autonomous robotics, uh, topics like CRISPR, which is gene editing, quantum computing. You know, we talk about 5G, but 6G is on the horizon, and 6G is dramatically, will be dramatically faster than 5G, and what are the implications there? But it's also the biotech, infotech integration, and what that unlocks uh, as we begin to think about technology coming closer and closer, you know, to us as humans. Um, if, if you think about what I've already laid out, this move from mass to micro, it actually implies complexity, complexity to be able to manage the level of optionality and complexity in the business. Today, there's a real opportunity for us to begin to think differently about how decisions are made. Uh, and in fact, the more complex the business gets, the harder it is to make decisions in a traditional way. And the traditional way would be a human hypothesizing, a human, you know, making decisions based on their historic experience, a human making big mass decisions. And there's a, there's a change happening today. It's a shift to more granular predictive analytics that are actually making operational decisions within the business today. That shift, you know, is before us, that opportunity to drive efficiency, but also improve performance of that decision making and to drive it more granular is something that should be a priority for the consumer industry today. There's a longer term set of things that matter uh, as we start to think about gene editing, we start to think about the ability to um, you know, create food in, in new and different sorts of ways than we've traditionally done. As we start thinking about what it means to, to deliver products to people and what's you know, on the longer term horizon. There's a, there's, a, there's a collection of implications there too, but your question about prioritize would be predictive analytics embedded in operations today. As the CPG industry scrambles to use tech to meet fast evolving consumer needs, Lowa predicts radical industry upheaval, the fourth force for change, and that will begin to shape how businesses and consumers interact. If you looked over the last 10 years, Consumer spending in the United States has grown at about 3.4% CAGR over a 10-year period. That's actually fairly, that's fairly good. I mean, most of the companies, uh, that most of our clients would be thrilled with a 10-year 3.4% CAGR growth. So what that means is that we've got consumer spending growing, but for some reason, the growth of, of, of most consumer companies, at least traditional consumer companies, are not growing at the same speed. And that's really coming for two reasons. One is fragmentation of share. And fragmentation is, becoming, is coming because barriers to entry in the industry have declined substantially. So there's more optionality, and now you've got more fragmentation of share. So there's growth, but it's being divided up by more players. Second of all, consumer spending is shifting to other categories that are not traditionally thought of as consumer industry. So one of the things we talk about is the rise of digital goods and services, consumer spending being spent on digital goods. And, and by the way, I don't mean digital access to physical goods and services like e-commerce. I'm actually talking about digital goods and services that's growing and is growing at a substantial rate. And as that grows, it's siphoning money out of the consumer wallet to a new category that frankly, the majority of traditional consumer industry companies 
don't play in that space. Same thing with wellness, healthcare. There's some other topics that, that are doing the same. But what that means is that there's consumer industry strength, but not as much financial strength within the, within the industry. Same is true with margin. Same, tr- same is true with declining returns on, uh, return on invested capital within the industry. So you can begin to see that the financial health isn't strong, but then the list goes on. There's a shift from products to services that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, there's, there's a talent gap that we see in the industry. There's you know, rising wages. There's supply chain difficulties. And frankly, what I'm describing is complexity. I, I've been using that word uh, multiple times here. As we've added more channels and service models, as we added more brands, as we add more optionality for the consumer, all of that is complexity and it's taken capital and attention, but it's not driving the level of growth that that attention and capital might have driven it at one point in time. This upheaval is triggering the fifth force for change, which is shifting economies, policy and power which Loba explains increasingly requires more flexibility. When we look at shifting economics, policy, and power, really what you start to surface there is the degree of uncertainty that we're facing right now that perhaps we haven't traditionally faced. Uh, there's a broad collection of topics that pertain to you know, the economic policies that, that you know, governments across the, the globe are, are pursuing right now, tightening uh, monetary policy, uh, but there's also policy that's happening, you know, within the country. So, for example, the recent Inflation Reduction Act, you know, has a lot of stipulations and a lot of incentives, you know, within it that actually drive opportunity, but they also dr- drive behavior. So recognizing what those policy changes are, and frankly, a lot of them pertain to incentives around, you know, uh, uh, clean energy and creating a, a green economy. And those create opportunities, those create behavior changes, they create a lot of things that you, you need to understand so you can find opportunity. But there's also this question of power. Power, there's geopolitics. What's our relationship with China, United States relationship? What about uh, the EU and Russia and how is that changing and what, you know, where's that likely to head and what implications are there? Also the bifurcation or the polarization that's happening in the United States along political uh, lines. Uh, you know, the two parties are representing fairly distinct and different policies. Um, and understanding what those are and what the likelihood is of, you know, power changing and what the implications of that power change, you have to think about those things if we're really going to think about the next decade. And, and frankly, there's just so much uncertainty that shows up there that it, it has to be an overlay around how we think about both downside and upside within the industry. The last force for change, extreme climate change, is a bit of a wild card and how will influence the CPG industry in the next 10 years, says Lobaugh. But he notes there are two sides to the equation that are positive and negative. Let me start, I'll start with the negative. Um, If you look at rising greenhouse gases, uh, there's clear... Uh, dire trajectory. You can look at you can look at the the data that's available today, and and we're clearly on a significant dire trajectory. However, uh, today we have about 3.8 billion or so consumers globally, 
in the next decade, we're going to add another 2 billion consumers, 2 billion added to the consumer class over the next decade. So think about that 3.8, add another 2 billion. Uh, over 80% of those new consumers will be in Asia and India. Uh, so you have to begin to go, okay, if I add 2 more billion on top of the 3.8 billion, I'm already on a dire trajectory. What's that mean? Now, you, you have to couple that with a knowledge that our industry, the consumer and the consumer industry produce 60% of all greenhouse gases. So the responsibility lies with us. If, if, if we're going to address this issue, we have to address it. We have to help the consumer understand their role in addressing it. And by the way, the, the frequency of visible you know, events that are happening to the consumer uh, weather events you know, is, is rapidly increasing. Uh, we've got good data on that as well. And that means that the consumer's visibility, understanding, and frankly, even their having to pay the price is increasing. So all of those things tell us we have to do something. Now, on the positive side, there are signs, really good signs. For example, uh, clean energy today is cheaper per kilowatt hour than, than uh, petroleum-based or coal-based energy. So we've already we've hit that tipping point where the, the cost is favorable for us. And of course, economics are such a great incentive to get us to, to make different choices. Um, and you can begin to see that showing up in things like the projections that are out there around, uh, you know, electrified or electric automobiles and the, the projections around purchasing there. So as those economics continue to improve, and by the way, I do believe they'll continue to improve because converting clean energy is a technological problem, not a physical problem. You know, uh, oil and coal both have to be extracted from the earth, you know, refined. Therefore, it's a physical issue. As it's a technical issue, that actually means that the cost curve will continue to improve with the rate of Moore's Law. As technology continues to improve, and there's good base of information that tells us, you know, Moore's Law has been in effect and is in effect, that that price will continue to come down. So we've got work to do. But there's also signs of hope and promise that we should be getting ahead of and taking advantage of in order to make the difference that, that we all want to make uh, on our planet, for our children, for our industry, etc. Given these forces will impact individual CPG companies differently, Loa says that businesses will need to blaze their own path forward. But a good first step is to invest in predictive analytics to help understand the impact and direction of each force on their business category and broader competitive landscape. Companies can also learn more by checking out Deloitte's full report, Buying Into Better, The Future of the Consumer Industry. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable and safe week.